Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Uh, Bud, we'll jump right into it here. Uh, have a lot of listener questions and feedback that uh, we're going to try to catch up on tonight. A couple other uh, current event topics that we will touch on. And as always, want to begin a podcast by thanking our friends, uh, Louisiana Hot Sauce. Uh, fantastic product. Three simple ingredients, uh, a sponsor uh, of a podcast, the likes of which uh, we can only hope to find. And uh, it's been a great partnership with us and want to thank you, the listener, for the support you've given them, as always. Uh, And with that, we'll uh, jump into this podcast that Louisiana Hot Sauce makes possible. Absolutely, man. And uh, hey, Louisiana Hot Sauce got great value today. We're recording this Monday night as uh, the Nolcast was mentioned in Sports Illustrated. Very cool there and appreciate. We'll probably talk about that Andy Staples article either tonight or tomorrow night, depending on time, but we do have some new business to get to. We usually start out with new business and uh, before we get to questions or other stuff. So let's kick it off here. Uh, speaking of kickoff, kickoff times. Night games announced for Boise. Can we call 5 p.m. for Louisiana Monroe uh, a night game? It's it's kind of like a late evening game. Maybe a, a Yeah, it's kind of a supper kind time of a, game. A dusk, a dusk kickoff. I like that. Dusk works for me. And then UVA uh, as well is a night game. I'm entirely... Okay, with uh, all these, I think uh, I would not want to play a noon game in Jacksonville. Or excuse me, Jacksonville. We we did get scolded, or I did rather, by uh, pronouncing Jacksonville like Jacksonville, uh, as like people in Louisville sometimes pronounce it Louisville. So we got a, a message from I think the guy's name was Andrew, uh, and he said, "Hey, uh, it is not pronounced Jacksonville; it's pronounced Jacksonville." So I will I will try to enunciate that a little better. Seven thirty for Boise in Jacksonville. You cool with all these? Would you rather have some some nooners on these? I think uh, I'm not sure you did it intentionally or not, but I think cool is the uh, is the word there. Not that there's a whole lot that can be done in any of these circumstances, but uh, playing at noon against Louisiana Monroe is uh, not something I'd be particularly excited about. And really, it doesn't matter what time you set. But uh, I think is it five forty five for that game? Uh, regardless, uh, five o'clock's better than noon. Boise, it's. We will be able to authentically uh, mention a, a partnership that we have with a longstanding sponsor later in the podcast to be able to sing the praises for uh, having an indoor uh, tailgate for that one. And then UVA, hey, that would be really nice. Charles, uh, Charlottesville is a place I spent a lot of time in college, and it can still get pretty hot uh, up there in the early part of September, but uh, you'll be able to enjoy Charlottesville, the uh, town, during the day, and then slip into a little uh, away game night and maybe get down into the mid-70s or so, and that'll that'll be a, a really nice environment for those who, who make the trip to Central Virginia there. Absolutely. Uh, I, I would say maybe a nooner for that would be better for football purposes because it would probably be a really sleepy nooner. I, I, but maybe UVA fans will be fired up for that game. It did have a pretty nice season uh, last year by their standards. Uh, moving on, uh, David Coburn is the uh, now no longer the interim athletic director. He is the permanent athletic director, at least for now. He's like officially had his interim tag removed. On a scale of like one to ten, how surprising is this to you? Oh, I, I would put it less than zero to borrow a novel written by Brett Easton Ellis there. Yeah, this this is a, a not even a known secret. I mean, this is something that we've been saying for 14 months or so that whether or not the title was there or anything else you had your ad in store uh for more than almost certainly for as long as you have your president uh in store and this transition will uh be tied together and you're not going to bring in a new ad with eight months left on a president tenure or anything else and so uh 
David Coburn is the man that will lead the athletic department moving forward and won't be uh, won't necessarily have to deal with a title like interim attached to his uh, job description. Absolutely. I think it's it's a smart move. Like we've said back in the booster episode we did, I think four episodes now or three. It was uh, late April, early May when we dropped that, and a lot of people seemed to like it. So do go back and listen to that. I, I fully expect uh, Coburn to be here as long as President Thrasher is here, and perhaps for maybe an additional year. When you have the new president come in, he's going to want to hire his own AD at some point, I would have to say. We'll have to see who he wants to get. So I I think you're going to have Coburn for at least another 18 months. He'll be there. Somebody with a reputation of being strong with the books and making balance, uh, making budgets balance when maybe they're not all that comfortable of a process. Um, so a good guy for the time being and a gentleman will kind of and hopefully get uh, take this sh- ship through some rough waters and uh, navigate the athletic department through a period of time where there's some uh, certainly experience and a bit of a financial crunch. Uh, so I wish him the best in his uh, term now that he officially has the job title. I do think there's an element here to where we, we get a lot of questions. Hey, how long is Willie going to last? How, how long will Taggart be here? All this stuff. Let's just think about this. If Thrasher's here for another year, let's say, okay, and Coburn is here for let's just say the the first football season of the new president. Well, that would basically take you through 2020. And then depending on when you get the new AD in here, the the new AD is going to want to have a successful football program. So if Willie's doing well by that point, which it's possible he could, then he'll keep Taggart around. If he's not, the new AD would probably give him one year just to see how he operates, uh, potentially, and then make a change. Under pretty much all of those circumstances, Taggart is here in 2020, right? It's very tough for me to think about the the scenario, barring like malfeasance or or some kind of off-field thing, that would see him not be here through the 2020 season. I I don't really see a way that 2019 uh, ends his tenure at FSU. And a lot of that just has to do with, there's no way they're going to let Coburn make the next football hire. And, there's, and they're not going to make a football higher change while Thrasher's still in office. And I, I still think Willie has a lot of support from some important people in the administration. So uh, that's just kind of my my quick back of the napkin math on that. Uh, Willie has been pretty boring so far on the booster tour, has not said anything, at least from the interviews that I've seen on, on the videos, uh, that would indicate, uh, well, let's just say he's a little more reserved this year. Um, and, and last year he said some things – you know, like the, we don't have turds on this team uh, statement that, that I bet you he would want to have back if he could. And my thing was like, I know for a fact people told him about some of the bad apples on this team. And you don't have to you don't have to go out there and say, hey, we have a lot of bad apples on this team. And I know you're trying to build the confidence in your players, but I don't think that you needed to go out there and say things that were just patently like obvious to people, right, that, that they were not not accurate. Uh, the subject matter that he's probably had the most bravado on the uh, on the booster trail has been academics, uh, to be perfectly honest with everybody. So uh, you're right, been a little bit more reserved. Uh, Willie, in general, in those situations, is not some you know he's he's not somebody to give a real fiery, rousing, motivational speech or anything else. He's kind of a shy, almost uh, diminutive uh, character, particularly to be a D1 head coach. So he's it's not necessarily. 
in his uh, you know in his manner to do that, but certainly is a is a more uh, scaled back version of even what it was last year. Yeah, I I, t- I totally agree with that. Um, and I don't have a problem with him talking about academics on the trail because it's actually one of the things he said he was going to improve. And so far, it looks like it has improved, specifically with the first and second year players in the program. Although, of course, it is easier for them to make good grades because they're not yet in their major. They're in the pretty uh, pretty easy class. So next order of new business since we last recorded, uh, Xavier Peters did decide to transfer out. He was still suspended at the time uh, of his transfer. He's going to Kentucky. He had tweeted, like, uh, I'm home, Big Blue Nation, and there had been some some chatter I think from 247, Steve Wiltfong had reported that he wanted to be closer to his son at home. I don't really have any problem with that. I don't know if that's actually the reason why he left or not. I'm guessing that there's probably multiple reasons why he left. Uh, the only thing I'll say about this is uh, so far under, under under Taggart, they have not done a good job of getting uh, high upside defensive linemen. Right? I think they've done a good job of raising the floor if you've listened to this show you have heard me say this many times, but the floor has been raised at the position, but I'm not convinced they've done enough to raise the ceiling, and, and I'm not convinced that some of the prospects they've signed had that real top-tier potential. From a physical standpoint, Peters had that, and now they don't have that. I think he would have been an excellent fit in some of their 3-4 uh, defense, you know, outside linebacker looks, kind of with that, that hybrid position there. Uh, but they're not going to have that now, and I do think that's a loss, if not for this year, uh, for the next couple of years. But at the same time, Peters was a, a high-risk player that you took, and you can't be 100% surprised that uh, that he's gone. So uh, something that had been kind of whispered about and a guy that uh, you almost heard whispers immediately that uh, it just was going to be a, a kind of a touch-and-go as to whether or not you were able to keep him in and keep him eligible and keep him uh, ultimately in Tallahassee. And you something we've talked about, signed a lot of decent players, uh, but you've also signed a lot of tweeners, and uh, you don't have a whole lot of explosive prospects along the defensive line right now uh, as far as on uh, roster. And uh, Peters is a loss, definitely. Whatever the reason he's going back, kids leave college uh, for a multitude of reasons, and it's uh, not always what they have to – claim publicly and uh, wish him the best. And if he wants to be closer to his family, then good for him. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Next order of new business, the AC network. I had a lot of people ask us about this. Hey, do you you see this AC network? They're they're telling people to call their cable companies. and This looks so desperate and all this stuff. And my thought is, I don't know if y'all recall this, but the SEC network did the exact same thing. I'm not saying this is going to be as successful as the SEC network was. It's probably not. However, that's exactly what the SC Network did. They had Texas A&M fans and South Carolina fans calling for that opening game. Remember when Kenny uh, Hill, they called him Kenny Thrill, mm-hmm. and, and A&M went up there and just, just beat the brakes off South Carolina in Columbia? So, I look, I have no idea if the ACC Network will be a success. I do know that this is playing out much like the SC Network did in that there are big cable companies who over the summer – did not have the SC Network, and by the time the opening game happened, they did. The same way it's playing out right now. I think Charter does not have it, and, and I think Comcast in Tallahassee does not have it. Does DirecTV have it? Do you know? I, I don't have DirecTV, so I'm not sure on that. Uh, I don't know. No, uh, I can't can't say that I do. Okay. So 
anyway, that's uh, that's kind of my thoughts on AC Network so far. If if we get into like you know September October and they still haven't picked it up, then FSU fans are going to be pretty ticked off because uh, you know two of their first games are going to be be on that network. But as far as stylistically and, and and methodology, this is about how it was going for the SEC network. So I don't really think that's a, a concern that ESPN, who owns both, is playing it the exact same way that they did with their most successful channel, which is what the SEC network is for them. There's just a certain, I feel like, a level of pessimism or uh, skepticism, maybe is a better word, about the network in general and what it will ultimately be able to pay out to schools that I think people take any piece of information and it uh, it's not even necessarily something they do consciously. It's just a subconscious thing of, oh, hell, this thing's never going to be the money tree that the SEC network is, and they're absolutely right about that. But it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be a failure or we'll never be able to get off the ground. Uh, so I think a lot of people, myself maybe included, uh, even tend to process anything about the ACC network with a little bit of a filter that's uh, maybe not the most fair way of, uh, of judging uh, a situation like this that, as you mentioned, is a somewhat of an industry standard uh, rollout. Uh, do you have ACC network where, where you live? Uh, not currently, no. Are people going to be able to get it online, do you know? Yeah, I, I think so, and I think it'll be part of some of these online packages and uh, – It'll be probably something that uh, within two years is something that's a, a more easily accessible thing online than than through terrestrial traditional cable. Yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking so too. By the way, I uh, I cut the cord. Yeah, I uh, I did too. <laughs> Actually, saw a lot of a uh, and and that's kind of a I mean we don't. Uh, make a ton of money doing this podcast but we do have some great sponsors and blah 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 one of the things that we could have is a very legitimate business expense is uh is for our cable to be paid for and it's kind of telling that two individuals that uh even have that as an option don't necessarily feel the need to pay an exorbitant amount of money every month just so that they can watch cable at 8.30 for 15 minutes before they switch over to Netflix or whatever else. So, so. I, I ended up getting the uh, the gig internet uh, from uh, Spectrum and uh, and YouTube TV. Now, I don't actually get gig internet speed. So uh, if anybody out there works for Spectrum and wants to actually like hook me up with what I've paid for, basically like, can we, can we get them to, to give me what I paid for? That'd be cool. I, I have other stuff I have to take care of first, but it, it seems to work fine. YouTube TV is pretty cool. You get unlimited DVR, so I, I no longer have to worry about uh, about deleting stuff off the DVR. If there's a hundred episodes of you know Overboard or whatever that ridiculous uh, reality TV show on the boat is on on Bravo. I don't know if you've seen that or not. Um, I don't have to worry about it. I just I just bypass it and go to uh, whatever I have saved. So anyway, that's enough about that. Let's get on to some recruiting here. Yeah, a pros- prospect that you might be able to watch on the uh, ACC network at some point in time. Uh, Texas product uh, Malik Hensby, uh, excuse me, Malik Hornsby, uh, committed to North Carolina via tweet uh, earlier in the week. This is a kid who I know Florida State liked. Um, this is actually a player that I kind of disagreed with Florida State on in terms of their evaluation of him. I, I've seen him in person a couple times. Um, I think he's a very good athlete, but. I got to tell you, I have kind of a personal rule when it comes to scouting quarterbacks. And basically, it's I think seven on is a necessary but not sufficient condition to being a good quarterback. If you are good at seven on, it does not mean that you will be a good quarterback. However, if you are actually 
bad at seven on seven, right? Like you're not accurate throwing with no lineman in front of you, no blitz coming, no no pressure, anything like that. Man, that is just a basic ability to throw the ball accurately to a spot when the conditions are basically perfect. And I, he struggles with that. And and I I don't. I'm kind of hard pressed, honestly, to think of quarterbacks in college who have succeeded when they were legitimately below average seven on guys. Look, maybe he would fit really well. I know Kendall Bryles has certainly seen him a lot because he's from the Houston area. Just not a prospect that I'm as high on as his ranking. So I know FSU liked him potentially as the number two quarterback in their class. However, I don't think this is that much of a loss. Um, And I, I, I don't have a problem telling you guys when I think there's a loss or on a kid they missed out on, but I I think there are better prospects within the state of Florida who they could go after. We'll have to see where they turn to get their number two quarterback to go along uh, with Jeff Sims now that Hornsby has been committed to UNC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to no one's surprise, uh, Tim Brewster went into the state of Texas and uh, was able to bring a pretty significant talent back to his uh Current employer. So good for them on that. Uh, be interesting to see what that kid ultimately uh, turns into. But yeah, you're right. When you read about him, you read a lot more about a kid who's got a, uh, you know, 10 5, 100, uh, sub 5, 4, 40, etc. And uh, obviously all the athletic skills there. But uh, if you can't can't put the ball downfield in a, in a fairly uh, quarterback friendly environment like seven on, that's uh, something that you certainly have to have the back of your head when projecting what a kid might ultimately be uh, at the next level. Uh, next prospect we're going to talk about regarding recruiting is Chance Williams. Uh, Williams came out with a top three that uh, did not have Florida State involved in it. Yeah, this is a certainly a loss for Florida State. Uh, Chance Williams, you know, whose uh, mom is an FSU alum, uh, elite level edge rusher, and Florida State did not get in the top three. He's out of Jacksonville Oakleaf, and this is just – Look, Florida State's not a real popular attraction right now for for elite-level recruits. They're doing pretty well with with the kind of good to very good. But as far as like your top 100-type kids, they don't have much interest from those kids right now. Just being honest with you all, that could change with a very good season. It probably will not change very much with just a decent to good season. Uh, It would help some because they're coming off a a legitimately bad season. But Chance Williams could go out of state, could go to Florida – We'll have to see on that. The other thing uh, to note here is that Jalen Rivers, who is his teammate, a uh, four-star offensive tackle, who his rating seems to be sliding a bit, uh, some questions about his ability to move. And you know, that comes, I think, sometimes when, when you're as big as he is at the age he is. But uh, a lot of people think he's probably going to go to Miami right now. So not a great week there for FSU on the recruiting trail. And uh, like we said earlier, you, you got to, you know, one of the major selling points for Taggart uh, has been his recruiting, and they are fighting an uphill battle right now in large part to the poor effort they had on the field, which, again, is somewhat Willie's fault. I would say mostly the prior guy's fault. And if you you, know, you read, read the Andy Staples article today, I think you get a pretty good feel for that. Or if you just listen to the podcast we did two episodes ago where we broke down all the players in those recent classes. We also have a continuing trend in the state of Florida, and I break this down every year on SB Nation with the Sunshine State scorecard. And uh, last year I said, hey, way too many guys, elite players are leaving the state of Florida. There's not a whole lot of loyalty to the schools in Florida. That happened again tonight. Uh, Jalen Carter 
four-star defensive tackle. I think he'll end up as a top 10 player in the state of Florida when it's all said and done. He's a guy out of Apopka, which, look, is traditionally kind of a Florida Gator school, at least over the last uh, decade or so. If, if they want an Apopka kid, they, they usually have a pretty good shot at him. It's not really a Florida State school, although Florida State has had good players from there before. Uh, Sammy Smith, uh, running back in the 80s, actually, uh, came out of there. Uh, but he goes to Georgia a, a day after announcing his top three, uh, Bama, Clemson, Georgia. So pretty uh, pretty embarrassing, I think, for all three schools in the state uh, to not even end up in the kids' top three. So a big L there for the Knowles, Gators, and Canes, who all three wanted him pretty badly. And then uh, Tyu Jones-Bell is a receiver out of Miami Carroll City, arguably the best receiver in the state. Uh, with him – I've known that he was going to Alabama since February. In fact, somebody close to his recruitment told me, he's like, yeah, I don't even know why these other schools are wasting their time. He's he's done to Bama back in February. So we are now in, what, May? And he finally went uh, went public with it. That one I don't really put on Florida State. They they had that thing sewn up via some connections there that were, uh, were long done. And right now, Bama has a tremendous tradition of dipping into South Florida uh, taking an elite receiver and putting him into the NFL. Obviously, Calvin Ridley. Next will come uh, Jerry Judy. We uh, referenced this earlier in the podcast, but uh, want to circle back to the idea of the uh, Boise State opener. Uh, happy to be able to pair with a longtime partner of ours in the For the Table restaurant group, Madison Social, uh, leading the charge on this one. But it is the... Uh, it is the FSU Jacksonville tailgate, uh, 27,000 square feet of uh, air-conditioned awesomeness, uh, fantastic proximity to the stadium. Uh, these guys will – look, they love events like this. They'll they'll kill it. There will be all kinds of different things to do uh, throughout the day. It's a professional setup. If you went to the uh, thing that they did before the Ole Miss game, which, Bud, I know you did a couple years ago, uh, you can uh, give testament as to the job they do. But uh, these are people in the hospitality industry who know what they're doing, uh, love Florida State, and we're uh, fortunate to be able to continue to work with them and uh, for them to provide a, a, a kind of a tailgate situation that appeals to everybody. So, again, I uh, want to remind you to uh, visit FSUJaxTailgate.com. Again, FSUJAXTailgate.com. You have two different tailgate ticket options. Option one is a tailgate entrance and two drinks, that would be $20. And option two, tailgate entrance, two drinks and a plate of food uh, for $25. So drink options will include a variety of beer, uh, call liquor brands, and uh, specialty cocktails. So you can uh, pair with it whatever you feel is appropriate. And I'm sure uh, additional drinks will be available if you so choose to uh, purchase them. Indeed, man. It's going to be a professional tailgate. None of this amateur hour stuff. Uh, they know how to do it. We're not going to run out of food and drink. It's it's going to be awesome. By the way, speaking of the event in Orlando, um, when they played Ole Miss, I was scrolling through my timeline earlier, and I saw the uh, Rebel Yell Hotline podcast. Remember, that for, we, we listened to that a little bit with the, uh, was it the Ole Miss 247 or Scout side or whatever? It's like, welcome to the Rebel Yell Hotline here on on, on Scout Mississippi. Hot or tight. And it's, it's, and it's even more like, it's even more like Foghorn Leghorn. It's, it's even more Foghorn than, Leghorn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, I, I, I say, I say them some I old. say, yeah. I say. Yeah. Anyway. Say, uh, I say, we're going to beat these criminals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. That was funny. I also saw a good joke today, because uh, with the news that DeAndre Francois um, 
is walking on at FAU. Uh, and we retweeted this from the old cast account. It said, at least he won't have to walk as far uh, to skip out on team activities to hang out with Devontae Phillips. Geographic proximity there. Absolutely. So Tremendous. Um, you want to get to some uh, listener questions? Let's jump into them. First listener question comes from Jason. Jason writes uh, that he loves the show. Certainly appreciate the kind words, Jason. Back to his email. was wondering if you guys have heard of Route Analytics, a startup aimed to give parents and kids a more data-driven approach to college recruiting. I was wondering if you see a future in this approach of data-driven decisions, not only for kids, uh, or excuse me, not only for parents and kids, but for coaches as well. Okay, so uh, I actually uh, have heard of them because I was out at the uh, AFCA, which is the American Football Coach Association convention there in San Antonio uh, after uh, after the Army All-America game that I was out there for and, and the combine. So I just stuck around and you know you end up texting and talking to so many coaches throughout the year, but, but you kind of rarely run into them in person, other than you know Fort State's guys who I see a good bit. But in the national recruiting gig, it's always good to put a name with a face and. While I was out there, kind of just to justify the cost of me, of me being out there other than just maintaining relationships uh, so you can, you can file a nice expense report, I wanted to do a story on sort of technology and recruiting, and I'm actually working on that right now. And, and I did run into Route Analytics, actually. Uh, now, they are more uh, player-facing rather than school-facing, and so I'm, they're not going to make my article, so I'm actually pretty free to talk about them. They're interesting. It, it was an app. Uh, and from what I remember, and I don't have my notes in front of me on this, but from what I recall, they basically would present, I think, like the level of competition uh, available at a school, I, th- I think, for, for that player who the school had recruited in previous years, who else it's recruiting, how many scholarships they have available, perhaps what those kids' uh, ratings were. And then maybe also I think they had some – perhaps some algorithm and stuff to, to be able to determine uh, – how well kids of your similar rating or skills have done um, in, in in for, for that school, right? Like, so, like, let, let's take your inputs and see what the outputs were uh, from from a player like you. I, I thought it was interesting. I I don't know. I don't know if I would personally use it if I had a, a son going to play college football, simply because I come from a place of. Uh, of superior knowledge to most parents, right? From because I work in this field. Yeah, if you were yeah. an accountant, you would have just as you would have a, a superior idea of uh, of something like that. When it's your business twenty four seven, you certainly have more exposure to the ideas to what this whole process is and about. Yeah. So to me, I, I, if I if I was ignorant to the process, uh, there might be a tool I, I, I would look into. Data-driven decisions, the, the second part of this question, for coaches uh, is absolutely something going on. That's something I really can't talk about more. You can look for that story some point this year on SB Nation. That, that's, that's called a tease in this business. I can't let, can't let my side job get in the way of my main job. So look for that on SB Nation. I, I can't give that away when I'm working on there. But uh, data and big data is absolutely taking over college football. And that's actually a cool field in which we have a lot of variance. Some schools use it more effectively than other schools and hardly any of them want to talk about it, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it's one of the areas like they're not real eager to brag about. I want to get in there and write basically, did you read Astro Ball? The, the story of how the Houston Astros basically tore it down and, and redid everything with, with big data and analytics and 
um, combining their their scouting and, and uh, like they they tanked for four years intentionally. So that was, I mean they obviously got some good draft picks out of it uh, in, in baseball, but then they won the World Series and they're probably the favorite to win it again this year. A, a guy for Sports Illustrated wrote a book called Astro Ball, and I thought it was really good. And they basically let him in to see a lot of their process. College college teams right now are not real keen on letting writers in to to see their process as far as that stuff goes. It's one but they the only, really want to know what other schools are doing. Yeah, and, and it's just it's only one of the few frontiers to where you can actually have an advantage on somebody. Like, look, uh, if you're Florida State, and and first of all, that GPS thing was helpful, and there's a reason why sports teams around the world do it. But let's say the GPS information was as impactful as it was presented and was as accurate as it was presented and that uh, it played as much of a role as it did in the 2013 team staying healthy. Uh, I'm not sure that I would necessarily agree with those statements, but let's just say for this hypothetical that that's the case. Uh, That's great. Enjoy that advantage for all of nine months. Uh, That's not there anymore. This, what you're talking about, is one of the few areas where there's not all of this uh, publicly available information and that if you have an actual lead on somebody or an idea that it's not immediately scaled out and the rest of the college football world uh, can catch up to you nine min- months later. Absolutely. So it, you got to keep fighting to stay, stay advanced in, in these fields. Um, Florida State had a guy actually that was doing uh, sort of advanced analytics for them under Jimbo. And then somebody in the program actually told me that he passed away. I'm, and I don't remember what the guy's name was, so I, I would look it up to see if that was actually true. But I'm not – I'm not obviously, A, I don't remember his name, but B, I, I want to double-check that just to be to be sure that was accurate. A different Jason asks, how much of an impact was the loss of the coaches prior to the 2013 football season to include Stoops, Coley, Craig, and such? It seems like that's when the recruiting decline started. Thank you and love the podcast. You want to take this one? Yeah, certainly a staff that I'm very familiar with and knew a good bit about. I think that there was a very good likelihood that you would have seen a fall off in recruiting, uh, regardless of whether or not those guys had stayed on. There was a, there was some real good chemistry on that staff, which you don't always get, and there were a lot of guys who felt like uh, not only could they prove themselves at Florida State, but they would get the recognition uh, when they did because Florida State had. Uh, fallen off to the level uh, as to which you had a nice little kind of canvas to work with, but you still had the name and the recognition of uh, of what Florida State carries in the college football world. So uh, there's a lot of guys on there that are pros and have continued to recruit well. Uh, there's a lot of guys on that list that are only employed uh, because they recruit well, and their current employer will be uh, kind of rude in pointing that out to them. But uh, I don't know that you wouldn't have necessarily seen a little bit of a fall off because the the inner relationship there uh, had turned so sour with those coaches and the head coach that uh, I don't know that you necessarily would have seen the uh, the production on the trail that you did in the first two years from those guys anyway. I, I think you nailed it right there. Um, you know, there was also a lot of things that were happening. For instance, I think if that whole staff had stayed together and other things had happened in the head man's life right? That the decline would have still happened. Perhaps not to the same extent, perhaps in a different order. But uh, I I think those things had, had the biggest uh, impact as far as, as that stuff goes. 
Connor, with all the talk about Florida State's finances and concern over the ACC network's viability and revenue gaps with other conferences, it got me thinking about realignment rumors back in 2012. What would it have looked like if Florida State, Clemson, and others had left for the Big 12 or another conference back in 2012? Thought this would be a good hypothetical to discuss. Really enjoy the honest opinions that this show brings. Thank you, Connor. Okay, so what would it look like if FSU and Clemson and others had left for the Big 12 or under conference 2012? I mean, that conference would be ridiculous. You would have Florida State, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Texas. I mean, you're... Your bit players in that league are like TCU, Oklahoma State. Would Georgia Tech have come, or they were trying to get into the Big Ten at the time, right? There were, I, I, there, were there was a ton of rumors at the time, but yeah, there was a, there was a period of time where Georgia Tech was thought, but Georgia Tech uh, sees itself as a possible Big Ten if the Big Ten ever expands southward. Uh, uh, you know, supposedly uh, Georgia Tech thinks it may be a viable option. The problem is you still have to play ball with Texas, and they have like a unique agreement where they actually keep more money than everybody else in, in the Big 12, and they, and they get to keep their own TV network, the Longhorn Network. It, it would have been interesting to see. I don't have a great answer for this. I do like the question. Um, do you think there's any chance they would have been worse off than they are now? I mean, the Big 12 is a – yeah, you could be because the Big 12 is a conference that's held, held together with bubblegum. I mean, <laughs> uh, you could you could be looking at – and that, that was always the concern with the Big 12 is that the TV numbers uh, that they could put in front of you were attractive, but are they as safe a bet as far as a 30-year term? Uh, I don't know. Um, I'll, you know, there was a ton of rumors. I, I, one that stands out to me is I woke up with a – a pretty strong hangover in 2011 one morning at the beach turned on ESPN and the ticker had that what Florida state Clemson, Oklahoma and Oklahoma state were joining the sec, uh, imminently. Uh, that was, I think that was put out by, uh, by actually a basketball guy, but, uh, it was a wild little window of time with a bunch of rumors. And, uh, I certainly think Florida state explored a lot of options. There was a, a little bit of a power struggle, uh, within that, and the president of the university ended up making the decision, and the president of the university is the person who should make a decision uh, like that. So uh, we'll see if that circles back and becomes a thing uh, as far as conference realignment, et cetera. Uh, if it does, that'll be more kind of a 2022-2023 conversation as a lot of these contracts and stuff uh, start to come to a head around 2025-2026. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Uh, I. Man, it would have been confusing if that would that would have well, it, it could have worked out, but I'm just not sure that that it, it would it would be a slam dunk. I will tell you the people that tell you that Florida State did not consider this, that they didn't investigate it, or that, that they didn't take it seriously are totally wrong. They absolutely did. Very much so. Yeah. I am so. glad that at the time we did not go the extra step that some people who are no longer in the media did of saying like this move is happening, right? Because we never had from our sources that it's happening. We did have from our sources that FSU was looking at it seriously to see what they could do, which made sense. And ultimately, they, just, they I'm not sure they ever had an offer that made sense, right? Like, this is semantics as hell. We kind of get this every coaching season. Oh, well, this is uh, this is not an offer. Oh, we, we never offered this guy the job. And there's a good tweet from, I think it's actually Dan Wolken, who, look, I, I like Dan in person on Twitter. He, he tweets a lot of stuff I, I might disagree with, but... Uh, he says uh, he has a tweet, I think, pinned on his profile that says uh, nobody has ever offered a job until they've accepted in college football. 
And that, that's kind of the same thing here. Like nobody's ever offered a conference realignment spot until they've accepted. So it, it's hard to say exactly what they were offered. I, I think they probably made the right choice staying in 2014. You, you can look back and think maybe they made the wrong choice uh, a, a long time ago, potentially. But at the same time, there's so many factors to consider. It's not something I can answer in, in like a five-minute podcast answer. Complicated, uh, complicated subject matter that uh, will probably ultimately rear its head at one point in time, but uh, not any time in the near future. Dakota asks, when evaluating quarterbacks coming out of high school, do recruiting sites put too much emphasis on pro or dual-style quarterbacks? Are all quarterbacks more or less the same at such a young age, or is there really a true difference in high school evaluation? Okay. Uh, and then he adds, as, as it relates to FSU, does it help when, uh, Willie slash Kendall? They've worked with so many different kinds of quarterbacks in their careers. Willie worked wonders with Flowers at USF, but Herbert at Oregon was a totally different passer. Baylor is famous for throwing the ball around a lot. But King at Houston with Kendall uh, rushed for 14 touchdowns last year. Okay. If it's a two-paragraph question, you better hope Bud's on the on the ball because I uh, tend to just read these in one and assume that is the uh, entirety of the question there. So uh, This is well true. And you, oftentimes but. that works out because the first part of the question is usually the most important part. Okay, so do recruiting sites put too much emphasis on pro or dual-style quarterbacks? I think they used to, to be honest. And I think they, uh, the, the rankings maybe 10, 20 years ago, gosh, maybe even five years ago, were really kind of influenced by by race. And I'm not trying to get into like a, a, a racial discussion here, but uh, the number of uh, black quarterbacks who were labeled as dual threats, despite being not that athletic, uh, was pretty astounding. And at the same point, or at the, uh, kind of on the other side of that coin, the number of white quarterbacks who were labeled as pro-style passers, quote-unquote, who were actually very good athletes, uh, was equally stunning to me. Uh, that has improved in recent years. I, I think that there was a, a bit of awareness in the industry recently that like, hey, people are watching this and mocking it. And so it's really not that smart to do this. It's also just lazy and inaccurate, right? So don't do it. And it seems to have become better. I would say uh, I, I would eliminate the, the, the pro and dual uh, tags. They're all quarterbacks. They're all playing the same position. They might just play it a little bit differently. There's no other position, I think, right, that has different tags on it, right? Like we call strong side ends and weak yeah, side ends. Yeah, I was going to say but, defensive end is the only other one that we ever – now coaches will look at corners differently, et cetera, but, yeah, that's the only position group that's really broken up. And I guess you can I'll, break down safeties into free and strong, but they're, those are actually different positions, right? Like, like yeah. we don't – Right. Exactly. We don't say like, "Hey, who, who's the, who's the dual threat quarterback for this team, and who's the pro style quarterback for this team?" <laughs> we just it's who the, who's the quarterback for this team. Uh, yeah, I, team- I don't think the tags are going anywhere though. Um, it it sells. It's good for marketing. It's good to be able to tell uh, Ohio State that they signed the number three ranked quarterback in the country, and that Florida State signed the number two ranked quarterback in the country. Um, and that you, what I what I mean by that is that you give uh, a little bit more of an opportunity to have a, a boastful little uh, pen in somebody's class. And also it, uh, you know, lets a kid say that he's the six rated quarterback in the country. When have you really grouped all those things together? That might not necessarily be where he fell on the totem pole. The next question here is, uh, are all quarterbacks more or less the same at a young age? Or is there really a true difference in high school evaluation? I would say there's definitely differences in quarterbacks. Um, 
there are some quarterbacks who you think in your mind, okay, this guy is athletic enough to play quarterback at some schools, but is probably not a quality enough thrower at this point in his career uh, to project to be an eventual NFL guy. Um, so from that perspective, there is some value in the tag if you're trying to signal something like that. But I would just still eliminate the tags. The second part of this question, as it relates to FSU, does it help Willie slash Kendall, blah, blah, blah. They basically work with a lot of different quarterbacks. Uh, yeah, I think it, it helps a lot because uh, they don't necessarily have to pigeonhole themselves into a certain type of quarterback. Now, last year I was told we need to get a runner in here because our offensive line is terrible and in the red zone we cannot block well enough to score points in the red zone with a guy who can't run at all. If you think about it, that makes a lot of sense, right? That you The QB run game has got to be at least a threat in the red zone. And uh, you know, Jeff Sams is not an amazing runner of the football, but he is athletic enough to threaten a defense. So I think they uh, are very much conscious of that and very happy with their choice. But if they got a kid who was like total stone feet, but was a really good thrower of the ball, they could probably make that work too. It, it certainly worked with Oregon. Fantastic. Brandon writes, what is your take on Miami's Enos and his coaching abilities? Should Florida State be concerned? Uh, I I don't really know what they'd be concerned about. I, I think Danny Enos is a smart guy. He's had some, some success in his career as an offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. Uh, probably not as much success as Kendall Bryles. Uh, I'm not totally convinced that Miami has a whole lot to work with. At the quarterback position, I never, ever bought Nikosi Perry as a savior, and I was pretty handily mocked by Miami fans for that on Twitter when I questioned, like, why a guy who didn't even get an Elite 11 invite, much less make the finals, uh, was being hailed as this savior in a year in which uh, the quarterbacks in Florida were just simply not very good, and it would be pretty easy to stand out. Uh, as a quarterback recruit, and yet he was supposedly going to be the savior for the Hurricanes. Uh, now he did leave Bama under some interesting circumstances that, not like he did anything wrong, but he kind of you know left there in the middle of the night, basically. I'm sure he'll do a fine job there at Miami. I think he's an upgrade over uh, Mark Rick's son, who a lot of people thought probably should not have that job. And uh, Miami's quarterback certainly struggled a lot with uh, – with John Rick, Mark's son. But concern? No, not not really. I, I don't think so. I mean, I, unless he's got some kind of hidden super genius thing that he's not elected to show at previous stops, he's probably just a good coach. I, I think Manny Diaz made a good hire. I don't think that they got like Bill Belichick 2.0 running the offense for the Hurricanes. Yeah. No, there's very little. <clears throat> I'm not taking shots at Miami, but uh, the – Miami having a an, an above-average coach is not something that is necessarily concerning to me. Uh, it, it may mean that they're slightly more capable than some of the previous ones, but uh, the concern for me, both in coaching and what's happening to you on the recruiting trails, is not what Miami's doing. It's what Georgia, Clemson, and Alabama are doing and uh, coming in and, and signing uh, pretty much anybody that they want in this state right now until that changes uh, I'm not real concerned with what Miami does, and even to a lesser extent, uh, or even to an extent with Florida. Uh, obviously, getting getting your rear end handed to you at home by Florida last year is uh, not something you want to grow comfortable with. But there's just 
there's these outside forces that are of uh, much more competency and backed by much greater resources uh, that are going to be a, a thorn in everybody's side in this state for a, a decent period of time. Uh, exactly right. Yeah, Miami is kind of the least of four states' concerns. Uh, Doc asks, uh, thank you for giving us something to look forward to during the offseason. Thanks to, to your sponsors for making it all possible. Absolutely. Doc, with a shout-out to the sponsors, that's a great way to get your question on this show. He has two questions, so we're going to actually do them both. And he, he actually put them in one paragraph, which I like a lot because that means Ingram will not forget to read the second one. <laughs> it's all good, buddy. All right. I've seen a lot written about the current commits, Sims, Herring, and Griffiths, actively recruiting other targets. Is that a new phenomenon or something that is happening more than in past years? Number two, can we hope? Uh, what can we hope to get out of the offensive line grad transfer Ryan Roberts coming in this summer? Can we pencil him in as a starter immediately? Thank you for your time. Uh, you want one or two or, or neither or both? I'll touch on one. <clears throat> um, kids actively recruiting each other is, has existed for as long as uh, as recruiting has. Now, it's a little bit different in today's world in that we see some of their correspondence uh, via social media. Uh, but, you know, guys have uh, have – been recruiting other people to join him at schools since uh, since the beginning of recruiting and uh, kind of uh, back in the day a lot of times you're you'd you'd have your quarterback would be one of your first commitments in your class and then uh, he would uh, kind of lead uh, lead that charge so I don't know that it's necessarily new uh, it's new to Florida State in having uh, somebody at a position like that actively involved in uh, in being a bell cow recruit but this is uh, historically not uh not like you know new water that uh, that we're treading right now by any means indeed uh not a rarity but having the quarterback do it is a good thing for you and certainly jeff sims is more active on social media than uh than sam howell was we also had a couple people send us questions this week about sam howell moving to running back and i did some search on that and i cannot find any credible source and i don't i don't consider random twitter accounts to be a credible source so uh my guess is that's a uh, probably just some kind of hoax perpetrated on Twitter. So we're, we're not going to get into that uh, any more than we have to there. All right. Uh, the second question from Doc, what can we hope to get out of offensive line grad transfer Ryan Roberts coming in this summer? Can we pencil him in as a starter immediately? Well, I think that uh, he is at least a bad player. All right. And if you were at least a bad player, then you can start at tackle for Florida State. Because last year, what they had was just a total abomination. And as I said many times, I think if this offensive line, it just goes from simply like maybe the worst in the nation and certainly the worst in the Power Five, the possible exception of Kansas, uh, which is barely a Power Five team. And they only had like 60 scholarship players. So they're kind of like an FCS team and they, sh- they really shouldn't count. Again, if they can go from just what they were to bad, that is a significant upgrade. I don't think he's going to take the world by storm. I would be surprised if he's a good player for them. I would be moderately surprised if he's an average ACC player. But he could literally be a bad player and still be the worst tackle they have on this roster. I'm not trying to be depressing here, but like literally a bad tackle last year would have been their best tackle. Would have been a a giant upgrade to what you had, certainly. So maybe he can be like, I don't know, a top – 250 linemen nationally instead of like the bottom, you know, like number 500. All right. Uh, Andrew asks, uh, hey, guys, longtime listener. I had a quasi Knowles related question I would hope you'd be able to answer. 
For some reason, Noel fans absolutely hate Scott Frost and say he's doing a terrible job at Nebraska. You know, Nebraska, okay. Uh, yes, they only won four games, but the team improved in almost every aspect. He included the chart and email, which did not copy-paste into our Google Doc. Uh, not to mention they had their best recruiting class in 10-plus years or something like that. Anyway, as guys who are more tuned into things like this, I was wondering if you could give your opinion because a lot of our fan base disagrees with me. Uh, so he likes uh, Nebraska. Other Knowles fans think Nebraska is overrated, and I asked him why in a follow-up email, which I did not paste in here, so you're kind of flying blind on this. Basically, Ingram, the gist was like, hey, FSU won more games than Nebraska did, yet Scott gets like A-minuses and B-pluses in these articles, and Willie got like a couple Fs and stuff. Um, I think Scott Frost was a good hire for Nebraska. I think he was actually a better hire for Nebraska than he would have been for anywhere else. It's a great fit because he's a Nebraska guy. He can kind of mesh the old Nebraska and the new Nebraska. He understands recruiting, I think, just as any good coach does, just as I think Willie does, to be honest. Um, you know, just like that's not a, not a shot at Willie. I think Willie's a really good recruiter. They will probably be a lot better this year, I would guess. Uh, and we'll see if they get to a bowl. I think they will. The big thing Nebraska has going for it is that it plays in what is by far, unquestionably, the worst division in all of the Power Five by like orders of magnitude. It is really bad. Every team in that division is beatable. Nobody recruits at an elite level. So if you simply recruit at a good level at, at Nebraska, you're going to have more talent than everybody else, perhaps by a lot. It's in some ways an easier job than Florida State is to win uh, let's say like eight games, right? I think it's much harder to win a national championship in Nebraska because you won't get that elite level of player. It's changed, man. I mean, Nebraska went and got their elite level of players, uh, a lot of them from Southern California. And it's not to say that they could never do that again, but uh, it was a little bit of a different time as far as, uh, well, actually it would be, you know, it would, co- it would be a situation where UNC would have to be down. So uh, if they want to, going and and try to find themselves right now but uh nebraska colorado all those schools in that part of the country are going to have to go recruit somewhere else and and they've done that successfully during the kind of uh high water marks that they've had over the past 20 or 25 years all right uh colorado's sake 30 years so absolutely we did get a really good question by the way and i cannot find it here's one for you what do you think about um if Jimbo had taken the, the LSU job after 2016 and FSU had hired Willie coming off USF, how much different do you think things are now? That's a great question. Um, it is. That's why I, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I can't find it in our email. And I, I, I want to give credit to the person who wrote it, but I, I can't find it. I think um, there's a lot less rot going on inside the program, right? Yeah, I mean, like, there's a lot less rot. You don't have – a couple of the bells and whistles that you have right now, but you would trade that certainly. Uh, you also don't have to deal with the early signing period being your first class. Uh, that's that's, very, a, that's a very really true. big one to me. Very true. Which basically means you, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that uh, man. Let's uh, put a pin in that one. We can come back to it uh, at some point in time. That's a that's a great question. That's a nice. Nice uh, middle of May, <laughs> middle of July type of topic to be able to uh, spend a couple minutes on. It is. I, I, I'm i pretty sure I'm going to say my answer is going to be things would have been better. But uh, I'm not 100% sure. 
All right. Uh, and then the last one, we'll, we'll end on this one from, uh, from uh, Josue, I think. Is yeah. that how you pronounce this? Yeah, a, a so. frequent uh, emailer of the show, but I've never figured out how to pronounce his name. But I, th- I think it's Josue. All right. He says, uh, hey, guys, I really enjoyed the chat about the boosters and the overall direction of the program. I have a few related questions and one about Willie Taggart. Uh, first question, if there is a money issue at FSU, why start slash keep other programs that don't generate revenue? For example, women's sand volleyball, women's volleyball, men's swimming and diving, men's cross country. If the monetary situation is so dire, why not eliminate non-revenue generating sports and keep a minimum baseline to meet Title IX requirements? You want to take that one? Because I've got an answer, but I, I, I kind of want to hear you first. I, we might have the same answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, one, it's not the athletics department desire to uh, to not do anything but football, and two, you, you, I mean, you have contracts with people. You can't you can't just eliminate sports uh, in a tyrannical fashion to where you don't have to fill any of these spots. Uh, maybe you could phase them out over time, but uh, I don't know that that's necessarily Florida State's. Uh, path to finding themselves in a better financial situation my answer for this is that basically well it's still a college right like they can't operate this on its face as just a pure business entity i know you could argue clemson does and that that's in some ways true but like this is all done under this this pretext and we know it's kind of bs of, of amateurism and all that stuff if you're just like, by the way, we're going to cut all these other sports just to be better at football, in like like just like one massive like like swiping of, of the sports, it wouldn't really go that well. I I think that one of the reasons they keep them is because they do try to kind of have that collegiate model, and being good at a lot of different sports is something that some people at Florida State uh, really do care about. So, hey guys, I want to tell you about a longtime partner of ours, and we're happy to be with them. For another season, that's Resolution Home Loans. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN or you hit up FSUHomeLoans.com, guess what? You're going to get hooked up with Shannon. Shannon Young is the best loan guy in the business. He's going to walk you through the process. He's going to talk you through the process. He's going to help you get the home loan that you want and the home loan that you need with the right rate and the right setup for you. And they don't want to waste time. They want to be a hurry-up offense just like Florida State, but they want to have better attention detail than Florida State did last year. That's why I chose Resolution Home Loans for my home mortgage. I think you should too. 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. Street and Smith have Willie Tech. That's a uh, that's one of those magazines you see at like Publix or CVS yeah, that uh, comes old, out. Old school sports magazine. Definitely. Is it, Not is quite the institution that Sports and Illustrated is, but, uh, you know, still. Uh, yeah, it's Street and Smith. Exactly. All right, so Street Smith had Willie Taggart on the hot seat right behind Clay Helton, who was the USC coach. Do you think this is actually accurate? Do you foresee the program firing Willie Taggart after two years? In my humble opinion, I think that is absolutely ridiculous, and our fan base is delirious. Uh, as you both know, I, I love what you do, and looking forward to a future live taping, a la Men in Blazers. Take care. Uh, we, we may end up doing a little live uh, taping at the Jacksonville uh, show, or... Might just do a live show with no taping. Just, yeah, that'd uh, be exclusive uh, for attendees. Yeah, live live podcasts would be more likely than a live taping. But uh, for technical issues, way. All right, so here we go. Street Smith is, is is just way off on this. As I explained in the open of the show, I, I'm very confident Willie gets at least three years. 
Um, there's almost no circumstance other than malfeasance where I could see him getting getting the axe after just two years. Uh, if I wanted to give you some schools that I think actually have a a good chance of turning over this year, all right, I'll give you one. How about Virginia Tech? Hadn't uh, hadn't hadn't been the hand and glove fit that a lot of people thought that was going to be. Yeah, um, and quite a bit. It's been a it's you've had a roster that's turned south. Yeah, that, that's just been a really interesting situation that uh, I think a lot of people thought was going to be a, a fantastic transition, and it has uh, certainly over the last year or so hit some hit a pretty rough road. All right. Uh, other schools that could turn over uh, in the Power Five, I thought Indiana might open up last year, and it did not. So that's possible. Um, Tulsa is one that could, if you think about this, right? Phil Montgomery got hired there. They did go ten and three in, uh, in 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 year two after going six and seven, but but then it really just fell off a cliff. Or fell off a cliff. Good God, uh, fell off a cliff. Uh, in, in in the the two following years, they went two and ten in twenty seventeen. They went three and nine last year. Tulsa could open. Um, trying to think, other guys who I knew for a fact were on the hot seat last year, but saved their jobs. UNLV. UNLV is ridiculous. Uh, Tony's job there should be safe, in my opinion. They have a quarterback at UNLV, by the way. Uh, what's his name? This is really kind of off the rails, but I mean we're in like over an hour, so whatever. Um, Armani Rogers, have you seen this kid? Uh, I know a little bit about him. Yeah, dude, he is huge. Like Armani Rogers is like six five, two thirty five. He looks like like uh, uh, like Dante Culpepper physically. Um, maybe maybe like a younger, slimmer Dante Culpepper. But um, he went out of he went out for a lot of last year, and they just got pummeled in all the games that that he was out and. There were rumors that, that Tony was on the hot seat there, and I don't think he should have been because, like, it's pretty clear their whole team was at quarterback, and he's trying to do, do a good job turning the place around. But anyway, they could potentially open. I, I think Virginia Tech, though, with, with all the transfers they've had, if they don't – I mean, that Coastal this year is wide open, right? What what does what does what Votech have uh, uh, for a schedule this year, like, like in, in conference? Do, do they miss Clemson? All right, so their automatic crossover is always BC. Their other game is Wake Forest. Wake Forest, dude, they get BC and Wake from the Atlantic. Yeah, out of conference is uh, Furman, Old Dominion, and Delaware. And Notre Dame. Sorry, that's last year. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Uh, Furman, Old Dominion, and uh, yeah, Notre Dame. So they and Rhode Island. Yeah, I mean this is Notre Dame's the conference game that uh, so they rotate on. Yeah, very friendly. I mean, they should reasonably – I know they're not that good, but, like, they got to go to Miami and they got to go to UVA. But this doesn't seem like – like, this is a pretty cakewalk. If you gave FSU this schedule, I would probably predict they would have – I'd probably pick, like, a full win better. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe like, a win in the court better. I'd, I'd probably be more in that, like, 8.75 range. Uh, this is an easy schedule. If they do struggle with this, I, I, I could see potentially making a move because he's not done a great job with, with, with that culture flip there. Good identification of somebody, uh, probably one of the biggest jobs where you have a possible turnover there. So, uh, Do you think Muschamp could be at risk? 
Just no, thinking out loud here, but I like, doubt it. have you seen their schedule? Let it's pretty it. brutal, dude. Um, so, so check this out. They have they get UNC in the opening game, which whatever. I mean, that's probably not that bad. Then they go. They host Bama, so they draw Bama out of the West in 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 Tua's final year. Then right after that, they're at Missouri immediately on the road. Then they host Kentucky. Then they get a bye, and then they're at Georgia, which, again, Georgia probably kill them. Then uh, the weekend after Georgia, they host Florida. Then they uh, they go on the road to Tennessee. Then they host Fandy. Uh, then they host Appalachian State. Then here's what they finish with the final two weeks, at A&M and host Clemson. Mm, lovely. And I don't, not that A&M is going to be amazing or anything like that, but like they'll probably be solid. And Clemson most likely will uh, win all of their games by at least three touchdowns. So <laughs> that, I think he's all right as long as he doesn't lose to App State or something like that. I, I don't think that's a football program that's looking to looking to make a change. But uh, if they go four and eight, you think they they they'd can him? Possibly. Yeah, it would have to be that or worse, in my opinion. Okay. Which so like with five that schedule, very doable, but. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of games there that I don't think they have, like, really any chance in. This is hard. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of, like, guys that could, you know, be on the hot seat. Like, legit, like Clay Helton clearly on the hot seat. Street and Smith, I think, is just being lazy to put Willie on there unless they <laughs> no, know just, something. It's a fan base. It's what we talked about. It's Florida State's massive fan base. Uh, resonates with everybody. If you're uh, 45 or lower, you look at. Florida State, the way that my father's generation looks at uh, Notre Dame, where you either love them or you hate them, and seeing them on a list like that, uh, at the very least, gets attention, if not people like you and I talking about it. I wonder who else is on that list. Or, or have you seen the coach's hot seat uh, site this year? I, I usually look at it just for salary information because I think their stuff is not that great. But uh, as far as their actual hot seat list, but here's a coach's hot seat 2019. Clay Hilton, sure. Oh, uh, Rutgers could open. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, Randy Etzel, UConn should drop back down to one double A. Yeah, they should. R- Randy They're Etzel's not. paying guys out of his own pocket, literally. Not ready to swim in the in the deep waters that is big time college football. They, uh, they have Chad Morris at number seven. He's a second year coach again. Uh, Gus Malzahn at number eight. He just got a huge, huge contract extension, so I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, Mike Gundy at number ten, pretty unlikely to me. Um, Oh, Matt Luke at, at Ole Miss. That, that could definitely happen. Kevin Sumlin at Arizona. Chip Kelly at UCLA. No, Chip Kelly could go like 2-10 and 10 for a decade, and they're stuck on fire, and they, they love that dude. And Jeremy Pruitt is already on here at number 25, despite having the best, like the absolute best 5-7 and seven season in the history of the sport of football. Got to have a name brand sprinkled in there throughout, and uh, Tennessee does that as well. So. I guess. So. All right. Uh, hey, guys. We would like to have 3,000 five-star reviews on iTunes. Right now, we have like 2,800-something, which is pretty cool. Pretty sure it's more than all the other podcasts in this field combined, which is pretty neat. But like 3,000 is a nice round number. We'd like to get there. If you gave us a review a couple of years ago and you still like the show, and if you're listening to it, especially if you're listening to it this deep in the show, I have to assume that you do like it because we're, I mean, over an hour in, unless this edit is, is pretty harsh, and we'll see about it. Uh just, you know, if you go on iTunes and help us out with the five-star review, that'd be awesome. If you'd like to use your spouse's phone or your child's phone, that is also uh, fully accepted. 
in the review department of the Noblecast, and we very much appreciate you all listening to the show.